Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast produced here in Sydney, Australia. My name is Matt Wakeling. Thank you so much for joining me. Today on episode 25, I am so excited to bring you my conversation with Andy Timmons. What a phenomenal player and so well respected all around the world. Before we get to that though, I need to let you know this episode is proudly brought to you by the Michael Dolce 2016 Funk Fusion Masterclass Tour. Michael's awesome. Here's a quick word about those classes. Hi guys, this is Michael Dolce inviting you to my 2016 Funk Fusion Masterclass Tour. To give you a brief rundown of what the night consists of, we get 10 players in a room in a really relaxed atmosphere, nothing too intimidating. We cover soloing over the one chord vamp. I will be sharing all my concepts that have worked for me over the years and I still use to this very day. The idea is to show you guys these ideas and apply them to your own voice. If you feel that you know how to play a pentatonic scale and a major scale, that's all you really need. Um, If you're interested in attending the class, you can book through my website at www.michaeldolchimusic.com. So I look forward to chatting with you all and hopefully catch you at my next masterclass. Cheers for now, guys. All right. Michael is such a great player, but more than that, he's a great bloke and a really great teacher. So those classes are so inspiring. So definitely check those out. Now, on to our interview of the day with Andy Timmons. And what a career this guy's had playing with bands like Danger Danger, Kip Winger, Simon Phillips, uh, touring as Olivia Newton-John's musical director for many, many years, sessions with Paula Abdul, Paul Stanley from Kiss. Andy's shared the stage with guys like Steve Vai and Satriani, being a regular guest on those G3 tours. Uh, Eric Johnson, Mike Stern, Ace Frehley, Paul Gilbert. He's played with some heavy hitters. But underpinning all this stuff has been Andy's own project, the Andy Timmons Band, which has been in existence since uh, around 1988. Andy's now released his eighth solo album, View From A Perfect World, and it's a great record. It's been out just for a few weeks, and it was really exciting to talk to Andy about this album. He's really amalgamating his 60s and 70s influences, all with a very modern Andy Timmons spin on things. The tunes are incredibly written, and the, the tones are gorgeous, as you would expect. So it was a great thrill to talk to Andy about this and some other stuff. All right, here we go. Here's my conversation with Andy Timmons. Andy Timmons, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Great. Great to have you. You have just released your eighth solo album, Theme from a Perfect World. And yeah. uh, you've just finished up a, a US tour. How did that go for you? Ben, it was great. Um, oddly enough, it was the actual first Andy Timmons Band U.S. tour. Uh, we started the band back in 1988, and just as, as as things have kind of rolled, you know, between me doing other bands and other artists and, mm-hmm. and all the other guys in the band having other projects too, we've just kind of been mainly going to Europe and, and, and Southeast Asia all these years, and just when we were home, we were just happy to play in the Dallas area and just never really pursued touring domestically. So it was really our first opportunity to do that. And we had a great time. We did, we did three weeks kind of putting our toe in the water, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but great response everywhere we went. You know, some some crowds uh, uh, larger than others. But at the same time, it, we kind of expected that having never toured, you know, you kind of got to build it up, so to speak. Sure. No, matter what your, no matter what your online presence is, you got to get out there and – 
hit the uh, hit the clubs. So that's what we did, and it really, really went great. Um, so I think we'll be making a regular habit of that, just doing a couple, three weeks here and there, and see how we can uh, develop from there. Awesome. Oh, I see you closed the tour with a couple of uh, nights at the Iridium in, in New York. That's got to be a cool venue. It is. We That's kind of been our home. That's one place that we have been playing fairly regularly since 2011. Um, yeah, they obviously that was Les Paul's home for many years. And we first were booked up there when the Sgt. Pepper record came out. And it went so well that the, the people of the club really took a liking to me. And they started bringing me in to sit in with the Les Paul group after Les died. Oh, wow. They could they continued the tradition for quite a while where, you know, they would you know, use Les's regular backing band, but then bring in guest artists, you know, everybody from Larry Carlton to Eric, you know, Eric Johnson. And they, they had, they had me do it, I think three different times. Fantastic. But very obviously very much an honor to do that. Then they continually, you know, and continued to book my, the, the Eddie Timmons band as well. So that's been our New York home. So we had, we had a couple of nights there and four shows and that was a good way to kind of cap off our tour. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, you had like two shows each night. That's that's a pretty long, long gig for you guys. It's not bad, you know. They, it's 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 more like a jazz club setting where they do, you know, hour long sets and they they clear the house in between the sets. Uh-huh. Some people do stay. Some people do stay for both shows, but <laughs> I dig it because it, it's like a hundred and seventy uh, person capacity, so it's pretty intimate. Uh-huh, and cool. uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I've always enjoyed playing in in this the, the smaller, more compact places for the energy you know you really get that feedback from the crowd and uh yeah so we've done really well there i just love being in new york i lived there back in the late 80s early 90s so mm-hmm. lots of friends it's just nothing like being in manhattan you know that's cool that's great so the the album itself um so you co-produced yeah. that with mike darn did i pronounce that yeah mike, mike, mike dane actually a dane, okay. yeah mike and i were he was the original uh, bass player in the Andy timmons band so we've been playing together a long time yeah wow cool and um so that's a trusted pair of ears if you've been working with him for so long that's the key that's absolutely the key and he's always been that uh he's had that that role in the band from day one you know he's always a good guy to bounce ideas off of and but even more so creatively over the years our relationship has expanded at least musically into you know him being more involved in the in the recording engineering part of it and also the production. So I really wanted to just call him the, the straight up producer on this record because I really found myself just wanting to let go a bit more of that control mm-hmm. and just letting Mike steer it a little bit more just to, to see how it would go. Just to, you know, I, I usually have a pretty clear vision of what I like and what I'm into, but the more I've grown to respect his ears and his, you know, directive abilities, it was kind of fun for me to, to let go even more and just to, um, explore somebody getting other elements extracted from me that, that I might not do left to my own devices. The album seems to have a similar production aesthetic to your last couple of solo albums or the ATB records. Yeah, to, to, to a degree, I think that, you know, the last two records were, meaning the Pepper and Resolution records, they were yeah, strictly yeah. trio. There was no overdubs in the um, the songs for this record, the theme from a perfect world record, were definitely composed in the same way. But as Mike and I started digging into the recording, we thought, well, what about a little Wurlitzer on this track, or what about a little rhythm guitar here? We kind of took the you know the handcuffs off a little bit mm-hmm. and said, well, now, now that we've done we've done the strictly trio, it's nice to to give ourselves the toy box back, as it were, and 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 just hopefully. T- tastefully you know add to what was already strong about the composition and the arrangement um just to give it a little extra flavor and, and again that 
after, after having been through the process and the experience of not having any overdubs, which I think helped us grow a lot, uh-huh. certainly in my playing and my sonic vision, now going back the other direction and going, okay, well, you know, what else would you like to ha- hear on there? <laughs> so that kind of it keeps it fresh. I think it's important to change your direction like that to uh, to keep going in new directions that, that challenge yourself, you know? Sure. So um, what's, what's the writing process like for you guys then? If you're thinking trio or you might expand the sounds a little what's how did you write the, the tunes for this record well you know and like i said initially these all these songs were kind of composed that they could and then they work as a trio you know we're obviously we're not we're not when we tour we're not carrying any additional musicians and we're not using backing tracks yeah. but they all work they all work in a strictly trio setting um so that's how they were written i you know i imagine myself kind of continuing on from resolution I think in the writing of these songs, it just so happened we kind of went a different direction once we we got into the studio. But they work in that way, so I wasn't necessarily thinking, "Oh, I'll write this with a rhythm guitar track in mind." It was really meant to be self-sufficient uh, with just the three of us. Um, and I tend to I tend to primarily be the the main writer in the band. Though Mike's Mike's a great songwriter; he writes wonderful solo pieces for the bass that he just has some amazing compositions. But I'm the one for the for the trio normally bringing things in. And then just kind of throwing them up to the band. And, you know, what I learned early on is that if you just if you have great players around you, just let them do what they do naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I mean, I may have a specific vision for a particular drum groove or a bass note here and there. Um, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm quick to offer that if I'm not getting what I want. Um, but normally, if you've got great players, man, just you're going to get the, the best results by letting them do what they do naturally. Rely on their instincts. If you trust those ears, and you trust their their abilities on the instrument. And, and, and it's, you know, I've been playing with, with Mike and, uh, and Mitch initially since 1988. So there's a, a huge depth of understanding of, you know, our, our, what, what our musical backgrounds are, which are, we're all straight up rockers, but then studied every other style and played every other style of jazz, et cetera, mm-hmm. classical, you know, we all have this really well-rounded background, but very much in addition to the, the rock foundation. So we're rockers at heart, but, with all the study and, and abilities and all these different styles, it, it gives the music, I think, a bit more depth and and a bit more personality in addition to whatever the our main rock influences might be. Yeah, cool. Are you um are you tracking all together? It sounds like it sounds very live and vibey. Yeah, well, always. Yeah, that's always the case um, with the last three records. We do as much live as possible, but what ends up happening is is once we get the bass and drums to where we think it's great. We'll probably move on and go to the next track. Uh-huh. And then it's up to, up to me and Mike to come back in later and address the guitar situation and say, okay, are we happy with that performance? Happy with the tone? Or do you want to spend more time? And, and normally, you know, we'll start really tone questing and auditioning singers, as we like to call it, meaning the, what's going to be the main melody on, you know, guitar, what, what sound is that? What guitar is that? What amp combination, what pedals? You know, so just kind of uh, trying to find the best voice for that particular tune and whatever, whatever vibe and mood we're going for. Mm-hmm. Just going back to the composition side of things, um, yeah. your, your guitar playing approach—it does sound very much like you've got that trio in mind. I'm noticing lots of yeah. um, like open strings and double stops, and yes, um, yeah. I'm digging some of the some of the tunes. Um, just have these big chord kind of passages that there could be a, a a melody, but the chords are sort of implying them, and then then you move back into a single right. note line. So that's that's all quite intentional, I guess, in the in the trio idea. Well, yeah, like very much so. And like I say, in 
the songs were composed with kind of that in mind, thinking it was going to be another Chio record, even even though it did end up having uh, some overdubs. Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess I, I'm kind of in a mode where I like to write in that regard. Though I, I, the idea of doing more of a Jeff Beck approach is very you know enticing as well. Like get with a, a good keyboard player and like I do actually with uh, when, I, when I'm working with Simon Phillips, I can be more in that role where there's there's great keyboard foundation okay, and yeah. great rhythm great great rhythm section. So I can be more of just a single note soloist instead of thinking more quarterly and compositionally uh, along the way. Okay, cool. Hey, talking about keys, who played keys on the album? Because I bought, I've got it on iTunes, and I'm wearing out my iTunes copy if that's possible. Okay, <laughs> but you don't get the liner notes, which is which is a bummer. Yeah, that, I hate that. Yeah, I don't, and they didn't make it available or give me a possibility to be able to include those, which I would have loved to have done. It's a guy named Rich Martin. Um, it's a guy we've known here in Dallas for a while. Played in a band called Shibboleth. That was a, a, a trio here in Dallas that was very '60s kind of uh influence in their in their songwriting and their sounds and instrumental trio and i heard this this record from this group and there's lots of farfisa just really quirky old cool uh-huh. keyboard tones and i well if i if i ever need a keyboard player that's going to be the guy and then when it came when it came time to you know some of the keyboard tracks that we had in mind mike dane studio he's got a wonderful old b3 and a Wurlitzer. And mike and i are capable enough and we could have easily gone out there and played some stuff that we needed but we thought well, let's get a guy and, and without me even mentioning this other guy rich you know he had the he threw out the same name it just happened to be the guy i had in mind nice. so it worked out it worked out great yes yeah, so we came in on several different occasions whenever we got to the point of like oh i think we need some keyboards well let's call rich and see he was always very uh very handy in that way and you know we'd have pretty specific ideas of what we might, we might want it's nice to have somebody that's patient enough to to help you get to that place that uh, that, that you're here in, you know. Yeah, the organs are great. They're, I mean, they're all very supportive of the guitar parts. So there's, there's not a lot of crazy yeah. stuff, but the tones are just beautiful. Those organs and. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we try to keep it as organic as possible with everything, all the recording process. You know, it's all mixed. Uh, Mike's got an early '70s API board and all the outboard gear, all vintage compressors, etc. A little bit of digital. Uh, shenanigans going on but as little as possible mm-hmm. so all the keyboards are the real genuine keyboards and yeah it's it's nice to, to have the real deal like the old Wurlitzer we put through a couple of uh, Fender Deluxes Silver Face Deluxes just has a certain bite to it you know you're not going to get or the Rhodes you know yeah yeah those so, those e-pianos hey through a guitar amp are always cool oh that sounds so good yeah hey let's um talk about some of the tunes the um the title track theme from A Perfect yeah. World yeah Man, that's a journey. What's what's the thinking behind that? Thinking behind that was that I wanted to tune. I was always enamored with the uh, when I was a kid. I had the forty-five of Court of the Crimson King by King Crimson. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those epic tunes where it was like two sides of the forty-five. You know, part <laughs> one and part two. So part that's part of the influence, but the the title is actually a reference, a thinly veiled reference to Todd Rundgren's Utopia. Okay. Uh, and there was a track on his, on the first Utopia record. They were actually a very much a prog band. Yeah, yeah. When we first started, it was more like Mahavishnu plays pop music in mm. a way. And so there was the track called Theme from Utopia. And it's the same kind of thing where it goes through these different moods and different sections. And so there's there's a lot of Rundgren influence on that's really what the, the, the core of that song is based around. Um, you know, my, my love of, of all things Rundgren and Utopia. And there's definitely there's there's very specific chord voicing you know that are uh, 
nod of the hat to Todd and some of his, and the guitar playing too. You know, some of his melodic uh, solos are just a huge influence on me. So there's there's a lot of a lot of his uh, influence on that track. A little bit of Who maybe. Uh-huh. So we weren't afraid. To, yeah, it's, it's it's obviously three or four songs in one, and it kind of comes back to the theme eventually and recapitulates. So. Why not? Why not have a, a, a piece that goes through a few different movements and and uh, yeah, just kind of cobble it all together? It's it's a blast to play. I love it. sections are great i love the the rocking out riffy section um it's maybe yeah, the yeah. second yeah. or third last and then you think the song's going to end and then those big clean sort of <laughs> clean chords smash in for the for new che- section that's cool too yeah so, um, thank you thank you yeah in winterland you're doing some really interesting bending kind of stuff a little bit in forenzi as well i think um is that a jeff yes. Beck kind of influence perhaps yeah. I don't think it's necessarily from Jeff because my, my love of Jeff kind of came pretty late. Mm-hmm. Um, if you consider, I was more probably influenced by guys that he influenced, like okay. like Steve like Steve Lukather was a guy that bending for me. A lot of my bending comes from Steve and comes from Larry Carlton. Oh, okay, yeah. Carlton was another big influence on Luke. So. Jeff really spawned over the last decade and a half, maybe. I saw him live for the first time in 99, and uh, that was a game-changing moment. It was because uh, I, I was always I was a fan of the records, but I wasn't always blown away. I, I liked I liked Wired and There and Back and and Blow by Blow. They're they're all classics, but what I what I eventually learned was it wasn't capturing what I saw him do live, whatever that was. And I was convinced at that point. I thought, you know what? there might be a certain energy that happens when a player like Jeff plays that maybe you can't capture in a recording. But then I was, I was proven wrong when that, that record emotion and commotion came out. I really thought that's it. He finally captured what I experienced at that live show and that depth of, of emotion that he was able to capture, you know, in the, in the guitar. Um, now that all that to go back to the bending and I don't know that it, 
it's really Jeff influenced. So I love what he's doing. It, it would have come from some other players that maybe he influenced. Um, like I say, cause, cause both Carlton and, and Lugather were two of my biggest long time influences for sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Nice. Um, there's a really cool octave, um, yeah. solo in that tune, the, the octave art. What's, what's, um, what's creating that sound? That's my G and I, there's an, uh, a signature octave fuzz type thing that they made for me. Um, it was called, I forget, I think it's called the Vintage Distortion Multifuzz. And it does all these different things, but there's just the one setting. It's basically doing the Roger Meyer Octavia type tone. And I have, I have one of those old Roger Meyer reissue, you know, spaceship looking things. And it's a great pedal, but it's very volatile. But this particular pedal is the best version of that I found that I, that I, that I use live. And so, yeah, that's what, that is one of my favorite part, things on the record too. It just, it's an old 65 Strat on that song. And that, you know, coupled with that Octavia type tone into a couple old Marshalls, it just has a certain vibe to it, you know. That, and then I think the the band really got a good energy on that on that track at that at that point of the song too. Yeah, definitely. And that's a pretty, yeah, that's a pretty cool tonal recipe. Strat, fast, yeah, yeah, yeah. Marshall. It's hard to beat. Yeah, I think there's some history there. You know? There could this be. <laughs> may have worked in the past, right? Actually, one thing I love about the album, there's a real consistency in your tonality, um, which I think creates a unity. It's not like a, oh, it's the same tone every track, but right. it, it sounds like you're listening to a band and the guy's just sitting on one guitar. But what's the case yeah. when you said you had got the straight out? What, what other guitars well, did you use? Well, that, that's, that's, that's the thing is that you know, the last couple of records have been almost exclusively my, my AT100 yeah. uh, or 300. It's pretty much was sticking to my comfort zone that's where you know working with mike was kind of cool is that I mean, we love the sound i get with that guitar and there's quite a few tunes that have that but he was always keen as well as you know working on the amp tones but let's let's try a different guitar what about what would this you know this sg special sound like and i had this p townsend sg special uh-huh. with p90s oh, yeah. that i'd had for, i'd had forever but never had used much i thought this has got a cool tone but so on that, that's this, the guitar you hear on, on the majority of theme from a perfect world is that is that Townsend SG Special with twelves on it. Oh wow! Yeah, we strung it up with some heavier strings. So I couldn't keep it in tune with tens. Sure. And I, thought, how did Pete do this? Like, the live at Leeds tone is just one of the greatest live tones ever. And so I, I did some research and found out he had twelves on. So oh, okay, that that explains. <laughs> He can, he can he can dig in a bit. It's going to take it. Mm. And sure, sure enough, I, I put the heavier gauge strings on, and the guitar just just came to life. I could keep it in tune, pretty much. You know, <laughs> not like great, but um, and I kind of re- had to read. I had to, I had to spend some time on the instrument because twelves are obviously a bit more cumbersome. Because I bend a lot. I mean, I live with bending. That's mm-hmm. such a big part of my sound. Yeah, sure. Um, I had to really figure out how I'm going to play this tune with that. But the tone, the tone one. I mean, we love this tone. So okay, I'm gonna. That, here's what I'm doing. So I spent some time on that guitar and figured out how I was gonna play it. But uh, I like the result. There's one that second, the second uh, verse you might call it. It's got that's that's more of a neck pickup strap. But the rest of it is all that 
that uh, SG special. Um, and there's some other Strat tracks. Like I say, the 65 is on Winterland and That Day Came. Uh-huh. And there's a, there's a 1960 Hardtail on On Your Way, Sweet Soul. And uh, That's Lift beautiful. Us Up. That's beautiful. That, that sort of neck pickup tone. Yeah, I love that. I love that sound too. And that, well, that, and that, that song, we knew we wanted that neck pickup kind of vintage Strat tone, uh, but, you know, we had a bunch of guitars in the studio. We just weren't quite happy yet. You know, literally we had 20 strats in the studio. I mean, I've got a pretty decent collection of old stuff, not like great, like vintage stuff, but you know, I've got a lot of different strats. Uh, Mike has a a few, we had friends bringing in their, their best vintage strat. We just couldn't find the tone, but it was a buddy of mine who's a luthier in town. Um, had a client that brought this six 1960 hardtail in and, I think he recognized that he he didn't even realize we were looking for this particular tone at the time. He just unsolicited called me up and said, hey, "I've got this old Strat you might want to check out." And he's cool with it. he's cool if you want to borrow it. I'm like, "Oh hell yeah, bring it by!" <laughs> you know, it it just so happens we're you know auditioning Strat. So he brings his guitar over and it wasn't even close. This guitar just had what we were looking for, you know. And uh, fortunately, I haven't given it back yet. <laughs> um, no, it just turns out the guy, he's a, you know, was a collector and, a, and wasn't playing it that much and was kind of happy that it went to a home where somebody's going to use it all the time. So we were, worked out a price for it and, uh, you know, I had to sell my kidney and, and my cats. But, <laughs> but I got the guitar. Well, I got the guitar. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, no, so that, that got used on that on that track and uh, lift us up. And the next voice you hear, that's all that 60 hard to solo and that's really thick that that tone what what guitars on that that is the that's the uh, original at 100 it's more of my more of my standard kind of um resolution signal path that's the that's an old uh, three knob tube driver tube works tube driver into two split with a frampton ab box into two ep3 maestro tape echoes and then each of those feeding a different vintage marshall one being one's a 79 jmp and one's a 69 Super lead, and they're both running loud and clean. So all the gains coming from the uh, coming from the tube driver. Oh, okay, yeah, into the front. Yeah. That's nice. Were you tracking mm-hmm. that loud? You can hear the notes just catching the feedback. Yeah, that and... was was one of the only tracks I did standing out in the cutting room. Oh, okay. Not not recommendable with uh, the amount. Of... <laughs> I had headphones on, of course, but yeah, with all you need to be in the room, I was like, oh my god, I don't think my ears can take this. <laughs> But, so, no, but it was worth it. We got a couple of nice uh, feedback notes, as you could tell. And the speakers are just about ready to rip. You could hear a couple <laughs> of spots. 
It gets a little it gets a little grainy, but that's a good vibe. We need to keep that. That's so cool. Yeah, you can totally feel like you're standing in yeah. the room for that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so many good tunes. Sanctuary. Um, that's a great tune. You've got thank you. You got that eighth sort of dotted eighth note delay in the front. What what pedal or effect you? Yeah, have? that that's a straight up. That's my. I have a white um, AT100 with a rosewood fingerboard. Uh huh. And it's the rosewood board with the tremolo setup slightly floating, and I've got that running. I think it's just my Carl Martin compressor into the front of uh, two Lone Star combos, Mesa Boogie Lone Star yeah. combos, and that's my timeline. That's my timeline uh, Strymon Echo. Cool. That I got set up exactly like you said, dotted eighth quarter note. Um, generally around 500 and 375, but depending on where I've got the tempo set up. Sure. But yeah, that, but that, but that, the kind of dotted eighth feel, and that kind of put some coursing on the repeats to kind of give it that uh, out of tune tape echo vibe, and you're off and running. But yeah, I do space that it creates on there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Then you guys mm. smash into like a seven, a seven section. Yeah. A bit more. Than I, that. Whatever. That, yeah, it's uh, it was just me trying to write like a who section. You know, uh, it just sounds like a bit of who fun there. Oh, totally, and um, and Mike, the bass, the bass part in that section is awesome. Yeah, is that great? Yeah, he just has a wonderful sense, man. He just, know, I don't, you know, I rarely ever have to direct him. He, we, he, we just know each other's playing so well, and he's such a great bassist ear for what to do to support what I'm doing. You know, knows how to. He he once referenced to he once made an analogy of him being like the aircraft carrier, and I'm. I'm, I'm taken off from there, you know what I mean? He's the, kind of he's kind of like that supportive uh, uh, bass there. So yeah, no, he uh, he's just got a great rock and roll sense. that i like about the band so much is that you know we've we've all played so many different styles of music but we started off as rock and roll or so but it it gives us some dynamic and the ability to play that intro and, and the middle section and have it really speak but then by the time you get to the chorus we're the foo fighters you know <laughs> you know what i totally thought foo fighters when i when i heard that yeah oh no doubt they're one you know they're my favorite new group matt and that's 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 <laughs> That's an old guy talking, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love Dave Grohl from the start, from obviously from the Nirvana days, but just from that first Foo Fighters record, which I think is all, I think that's all him playing. Yeah, it is, one. yeah. His, his sensibility, I love, I love his songwriting, um, and we think melodically somewhat similarly. He's always revolving around the third so much of the chord. Uh -huh. At least that's what I, I notice in his playing. And that's, and that's where I live melodically too, so. We share that, so that yeah, that tune is very much written with that energy in mind. I, I like that. Yeah. So, with with your harmonic sensibility, there's a lot of straight ahead rocking and and 
big who yeah. kind of chords. That's awesome. But a couple of tracks here, you've got some really beautiful changes. I think that that day you came, that's maybe the most harmonically shifting piece. I think. Yeah, I it may be. I I, I am a fan of the common tone uh, modulation and or whatever. I, you know, I I like going different places when I can. But yeah, that that's uh, thank you. I, I do I like that song a lot. Um, compositionally, I guess it kind of starts. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't really analyzed it yet, but it does move around a bit. <laughs> sure. So uh, one of my favorite parts in that tune, you do this eighth note kind of build up with the band on these yes, kind of swelling yeah. chords. That's yeah. cool. Have you got your guitar with you? I thought I heard you. Yeah, I do. I usually have my little, my my office rig is right now. It's just my main AT100 into this old Korg Pandora into into my computer speakers, but it's not bad sound. But... Hold on one second. Can you hear that okay? I'm not I, sure what that sounds I can. Your guitar into a digital box, into a computer still sounds awesome. That's cool. <laughs> I'm losing a little bit of top end. Hold on. You know, sometimes I get a tone here. Was I wish I could get that live? Actually, <laughs> sounds all right. But anyway, so you had a question. Uh, you want to demonstrate it, or yeah, are you able to play those chords? I know you set up for a, a dirty kind of tone, but the yeah, no, but that, but okay, that's 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 part of those. Here, let me. I'll play my full out tone if you can hear. It. I guess very distorted, right? Mm -hmm. But that would have been similar to the tone that I would have had set up. And what I do, I've drawn the volume almost all the way off. And... So, so it's really a gained up tone, but with my guitar rolled way down. Cool. And uh, if I'm thinking correctly, that would have been a like a, a Keeley modded blues driver. Yeah. Probably in, into a couple of deluxes, I think, on that one. Okay, that's a big part um, of your clean sound, isn't it? A blues driver, which which is a somewhat of a surprise. Well, that's the, it is. It, it would have sounded like that, cranked full up, but when you we dial that volume down, and so what it does is it, it sounds like a, a, a gained up Marshall, basically. And then your volume, you, you you roll your volume back to clean up the tone. So that middle section. So if I do that passage, it's like a D with a sharp 11 and B minor 6. B major 7. B9. B minor 9. It's like a D add 9. D Lydian. That top melody note. Yeah, beautiful. He made it to that F. And then, Back so the melodies, it, it's implied because it goes. Uh, 
And it resolves into that next chord note. I heard Brian Wilson would do that a lot on some of his mid '60s Pet Sounds Smile era stuff. It was just chilling you know, how he is able to do that. Like there's some there's some parts of, of Surfs Up that employ that same kind of uh, voice leading, and it just drives me crazy. So that's completely where that comes from. We, whether it was conscious at the songwriting moment or not, I don't remember, but. Uh, I, I can I can look at it now and go, oh, that's Brian Wilson. That's exactly what that is. Yeah, so that's cool. There's yeah, there's definitely um, a sixty sensibility. I think in some of your your harmonic movement. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's the Beatles record you've done, so it's no sure. secret you're a fan, but of that kind no, of stuff. No. But um, the next voice you hear, like the the outro, there's that long sort of. I think it's like a minor four chord to the back to the one chord. Yes, what happened? Hold on. Oh, it's, uh, I, have to, I have to think for the song here for a second. Um, so I know it's the uh, next voice you hear. That's the evening. Right, okay. And where does it go? I think of it as like a B major to G major seven to E minor. Yeah, there's that long uh, outro. Sorry, sorry, it took me a minute to get there though, to realize what the changes were. Uh, <laughs> so I'm thinking of three three chords: B major, to that to the B uh, the, the G major seven. So that's basically going from flattening that D sharp to D natural, uh, yeah, yeah. and then the minor. With like a minor nine, E minor nine, yeah. So, what was the question around that? What? Oh, there's more of just a, an idea that um, in the in the end of the song, you've got I think it's a minor, maybe it's a minor four chord. Um, well, it's, it's just got a, a 60-ish kind of melancholy to it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. That 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 last. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's I mean, so much of that. I'm sure whether I was conscious of it or not, that that's my that's my foundation is everything 60s and 70s, really. Yeah, awesome. all the stuff you grow up with and and just kind of have continued to pour over ever since. Just still going back and and uh, and getting beauty from that era for sure. Yeah, cool. So do you, I mean getting back to the writing, which we seem to keep talking about? Are you are you writing these melodies by yourself, or is there any? times when you're jamming out with the band when stuff comes out well um there there was there was more stuff on the resolution record that was written kind of in a band jam situation okay songs like helipad or redemption or beware dark days i think some of those were born from from some jams with mitch and mike but this record was primarily me bringing the material in mm-hmm. um and developing it from there but uh i generally yeah, melodically i've been pretty responsible for the majority of the of the composing um, over over time, and some some things do happen spontaneously, no doubt. I mean, I'm always inspired by the way the band plays, and we jam like every sound check. There's always like some groove that'll happen, and it's, I instantly hear all these melodies, and so we've got hundreds and hundreds of snippets of unfinished songs that, <laughs> you know, in the moment, we're like, oh, we got to finish that, you know. There's only so much time, I suppose, but. I always enjoy going back and finding those snippets and going, okay, we got to finish that one, or here's a good here's a good idea. 
Yeah. Cool. So that may be a record if I can get around to finishing some of those ideas up. Awesome. Now your um your in between tour is pretty much. Hey, you're you're heading to Asia in a week or so. We go. Uh, I guess uh, the eighth, which is coming up very soon, but next Tuesday. Cool. And, and what are you doing there? Oh, we do. Uh, we start in Seoul, Korea, and um, I think we go on to Taiwan, uh, Shenzhen in China, and uh, Hong Kong, and then four nights in Tokyo. So it's about two weeks altogether. Mainly, mainly gigs with the ATV, but there's a couple of guitar clinics thrown in for good measure. And mm-hmm. but I look forward to it. And that's going to be it for the year. I've kind of made a uh, uh, the decision just to make sure I'm home for all the holidays. And, yeah. Which I usually am, but it's it's been a busy year, so I want to be home with the family for the next few months here and uh, give me a chance to get caught up on the things in the studio. I've got a new website I'm developing that's going to be uh, a subscription lesson site. So there's going to be a lot of a lot of material available on that where I'm just basically going to detail every song I've recorded. Wow, that sounds big. Yeah, so, yeah, it is. Sounds, I just break it down into like you know a play along situation. But then, kind of highlight the uh, the difficult bits and try to uh, give some tutorials on on the thought processes behind all of it and and uh, some of the instructional things that would go along with that. So, but yeah, I've I've been wanting to do this forever, but just haven't been home long enough to get any momentum to get it done. So, mm-hmm. that's what the goal is here in the, in the next few months. We're going to get that up and running, and then hopefully get out and do some more gigs in the states and elsewhere. Got to mm-hmm. get the band to Australia at some point. Absolutely. Well, Asia, you know, we just. You take a not far. Take a right hander, and you you almost here. <laughs> that's right. That's what they asked Ringo in Hard Day's Night. How do you find America? We turn left at Greenland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> still, I still find that very funny. I just, but that's me. But yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we, we got to work that in. I know we've got some friends over there. Got to, got to go visit, man. Yeah. Oh, we we would love to have you down here. And, and where, where are you, man? Where do you live? Well, I'm in Sydney, Australia. So okay. yeah. e- East Coast. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I've been there a few times. Uh-huh. And love. Uh, yeah, we did a video with Olivia there at the at the Opera House. Yeah. Well, you uh, were you were Olivia Newton John's MD for for many years. About about fifteen years, I guess. Wow. Yeah. That was. Uh, yeah. No, it was uh, amazing. She's just a an awesome person, and you know, one of my one of my dearest friends. So, you know, that it was just at a point where she was starting to do a bunch of. Uh, of the residency gigs in Vegas. And I was getting busier with my group and Simon Phillips's group. But there's starting to be a lot, a lot more scheduling conflicts. So it was just kind of time. Sure. And she certainly, you know, understood and supported my, my decision. But, uh, so, you know, hopefully we'll do some more stuff in the future, but for now I've been happy to be doing my own thing exclusively for sure. But she's a wonderful, wonderful artist who really just a, a incredible singer and works really hard um at her craft and but also an amazing person major philanthropist and you know cancer awareness uh proponent and yeah so just very uh inspiring for me as a person wow that's cool that's Mm. great yeah she's uh she's well loved here of course Um, yeah no doubt doubt. hey cool thing about that gig you got to play the steve lukather solo in physical (laughs) yes i did and i played it quite well i think (laughs) i think you nailed it (laughs) On some days, on some days. <laughs> no, that was, uh, of course, a fun, a fun, a fun song to do. Yeah, that's cool. Can we uh, talk briefly about well, another of our favorite Australians, Daniel Steinhardt? Oh, yeah, he may be my favorite Australian. Well, that, <laughs> Tommy Emmanuel and Olivia are up there, you know. That, sure. Uh, but it's, it, I'd be hard pressed to pick a favorite Australian because I just love the Australian people in general. Um, 
all all my travels there it was like you know that okay, I would live I would live here this is I could totally I totally resonate with these people and the vibe is just it's just so great man just everybody and all the all, all my all my buddies that when I first started playing with Olivia the whole band was the John Farnham band oh okay so, cool Stuart Fraser on guitar and Chong Lim and uh, uh, Angus uh, Angus yeah Angus on the drums Jones. and Joe Joe and so yeah it was just amazing people we we got on so great we did two months of dates in the states and then within a day i just felt like i was in the band forever you know we just felt like close friends and uh and just laughed our butts off the whole time nice oh just just some of my favorite people on the planet so uh but yes daniel we yeah oh man i've been using i've been using his gig rig for a while then we ended up meeting i think for the first time maybe in germany i we had just gotten on tour with Simon Phillips, and somebody stepped on my power supply where it connects with the circuit board, uh-huh. and it broke. It broke the board internally, and so I couldn't. I couldn't get it fixed. So Daniel offered to fly over to Germany to fix it for me, and he did. <laughs> you know, he says, "Well, yeah, I'm a big Simon fan, and you know, it'd be great." So anyway, he so he comes over, and uh, we got on like wildfire, you know, of course, and um, just became great friends and just had a great laugh together, and so now, yeah. Uh, we've hung many times and he's of course you, you see the video on YouTube of him building my pedal board for me yeah that's great uh, you know just what a what a brilliant brilliant guy and excellent musician on top of all that you know I love his band uh, Ten Spirits yeah well I think they're just about to tour Japan so um, good stuff going on there going now and I, I was hoping I was going to be there because we were there for four nights I thought maybe we'd be in the same town but it didn't pan out. I think he's going to be there before me. Oh, okay. But uh, no, just, you know, it, again, one of my favorite guys is so incredibly deep as far as his knowledge of pop music and guitar. Just a good guy and a great musician and just, you know, nobody else I'd rather hang with. Just good folks. So we, I look forward to, to doing more with him in the future. Well, Andy, thank you so much for your time today. Um, it's been no awesome to, uh, to, I've been, yeah, I've been absorbing the album for the last few weeks and, uh, to actually get to talk really, to you about it. it's been really cool i really appreciate it man thanks for checking it out and helping spread the word about it yeah no we're again yeah we're we're, we're we're proud of the tunes and we worked hard on getting some good sounds and trying to keep it organic as possible so it's nice to know that it's resonating with some out there yeah Fantastic. Well, thank you for that yeah cool and for people to keep up on what you're doing with say the new videos or any any other gigs um, what's the best way for people to do that well Certainly, Andy, andytimmons.com. We've got a new website that's just up and running. And certainly on the Facebook page is the uh, Andy Timmons Official is my main page. So that's that's the, be- the best way. If they want to sign up on the – there's a, a mailing list on the andytimmons.com. They can sign up. And uh, we're, we're, we're being better about getting uh, some more frequent newsy emails out there for folks. Uh, yeah, so we'll keep in touch with you guys. Keep in touch with us. And a lot on the horizon. Lots, lots more to come real soon. So. Cool. That's excellent. Yeah, man. Keep keep going. I'll try to get down to Australia ASAP. Do it, man. Do it. Yes. I hope so. <laughs> well, hey, thanks again, Andy. We really appreciate it. Thanks for your time, man. We'll talk to you soon. Be in touch. Yes, for sure. See ya. Okay. See you. Bye. All right. That's the interview with Andy Timmons. How cool. What a guy. Really good guy. And um, the album is fantastic. I uh, can't recommend it enough and I really need to thank Andy for granting me permission to use some excerpts from the album to uh, help demonstrate some of the stuff we were talking about and how cool Andy jamming along and just demoing and talking through some of his stuff on his guitar there that's 
That was super cool. Thanks, Andy. Love your work. And yes, please come to Australia. And wherever you are in the world, I hope Andy gets to your corner as well. All right. Well, hey, thanks for joining us on the Guitar Speak podcast. Now, listen, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, and you can subscribe and hear more interviews like this by subscribing at iTunes or Stitcher, or if you go to guitarspeakpodcast.libson.com, you can get to all of our past interviews there. We've talked to people like uh, Gretchen Men about hanging out with Steve Morse, about doing her own solo stuff, uh, Sarah Lipstate, the, uh, the noise maker, ambient master she is amazing uh she talks about touring with iggy pop playing uh, the london uh royal albert hall we uh spoke to who else did we speak to jack thamarat really huge guitar presence around southeast asia yamaha endorser from australia we've talked to guys like bob spencer from the angels and skyhooks talked to randall waller about uh, touring the world with shania twain aussie guitarist uh, on a uh, gigantic world stage. That was a great interview uh, in the last couple of episodes. Mate and Guitars, iconic Australian guitar builders celebrating 70 years. We spoke to David Steadman, the general manager. We spoke to Daniel Steinhardt. How could I forget? Episode 10, uh, as you heard Andy talking about his relationship, friendship um, with, with Daniel. Daniel um, runs the Giggory Company, which builds the state-of-the-art switching systems and heaps of other super cool stuff. Man, Daniel is just a genius and an incredible player. So interview um, episode 10, we spoke to Daniel. So check that out too. All right, I won't keep going on, but you get the idea. There's good stuff in the archives. Get to it. All right, my name is Matt Wakeling. I'm out of here, but last thing, hey, thank you. Thank you for listening into the Guitar Speak podcast. It's really my pleasure to bring these interviews to you and it's a great thrill to know people all around the world are enjoying them. All right, thanks again. We'll see you next time on the Guitar Speak podcast. Bye now.